1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter wrote, you, meaning us who are God's people, are a chosen generation. Uh, the NLT says people, but I'm going to use the word generation on purpose. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are the people of God. We live in a culture which uh, is very much focused on identity. There's a lot said today about self-image. Uh, there's a lot on media where people uh, show forth their identity, what they're wearing today or how they look today. And then we have the whole transgender issue where people are changing identities. So identity is a very important thing. And whether we acknowledge it or not, every one of us in the room have an identity. The way we perceive ourselves, uh, the way we address others, the way we do life, even the way we dress and clothe ourselves, all of this speaks to identity. And these verses that I have just read to you are the verses from the Lord, and he is giving us his identity of the church. It's a, it's a scriptural uh, identity plan. God understands that we may all become confused about what it means to be Christian. And if we're not careful, we just stop with this thought that we're Christians. And we never go further than that. Christian meaning we're born again. If we die, we go to heaven. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll live better lives. But, but yet God in these verses has told us that we have identity. And in identity is understanding of ourselves and understanding uh, of our purpose. Now in this identity is the choice of God. God says to us, you are a chosen generation. Yes. Now, in God's choice, there is always our response. But we, we must understand before we chose God, thank God he chose us. Yes. No man can come to God except that God has drawn us. So God has chosen us and he's chosen us for a particular reason, and in that choice has given us identity. So he says to us, you are a chosen generation. Now the moment the word generation is used, we have to quit thinking of ourselves as singular, one person. God is now broadening our view and having us to understand what I call corporate vision. Corporate vision meaning there's more than one. That there's a broad outreach 
of people. And throughout the Bible, in the revelation of Christianity, is this corporate vision. And unless it's, um, you know, expressed to us, unless we're taught about that, uh, we lose sight of the ultimate purpose of God. Now, this word uh, generation uh, links people together through bloodlines, through birth. A generation means there are other people involved. Uh, about a year ago, I joined Ancestry.com because my mom and dad had passed away, and I knew very little about my generational heritage. I only knew about my immediate grandparents, but beyond that, I was ignorant. And on Ancestry.com, I was connected to a generation, a bloodline, that, that as far as I know, I went back to the 1700s when my ancestors landed in Georgia, in Savannah, Georgia. And I traced a bloodline from there, and it originated in England. And I'm connected to that bloodline. I'm part of this generational flow from my mother and, and from my father. So God has told us in, in our opening scripture that we have uh, a generational thing going on, that, that we are a people, a generation, and we have been connected through the blood of Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit indwells every one of us. We have that which is in common. And that generation of people have been identified by God as a holy nation, a holy nation. And I would dare say very few of us ever think of ourselves as a holy nation. We never think about God's program as being a nation. Now that word nation can trip us up because normally we think of nation as, as being a location. A, a boundary of land, like the United States of America, and that's a nation. Uh, Russia is a nation. China is a nation. But beyond just a, a piece of land that has boundaries and a name, a nation can also be a people who have shared a history, a people who have shared a culture, a people who have shared a language. Uh, for example, uh, the Jewish people. We understand that, that they are a culture of people. They, they are in themselves a, a, a nation of people. Long before the United Nations, after World War II, gave them that little piece of land in the Middle East, we still understood the Jewish people had identity. So much identity that Hitler and the Nazi army could put them to death because of this identification of blood, this identification uh, of culture. So God ha has said to us, uh, as the church, that we have to broaden the way we understand ourselves. 
and God has identified us, not as just these isolated group of people who've been born again and are trying to do life in the world, but he has called us a nation. Uh, he's brought us into this corporate kind of relationship. And the moment God has given us this identification of a nation, then he has brought us into kingdom. Because all of this is talking about government. And of all the ways we tend to envision God, probably government is one of our lower visions. But yet he is the God of government. In the unseen world, there is government. Paul, writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, said that when we come into church services, we can't do as we please. Things have to be done in decent order. Yes. Government. Yes. Government. And so God is reminding us of his kingdom purposes and his primary kingdom purpose for us who are just individuals in this room tonight is he wants us to broaden our vision and to understand uh, we, we're involved with this large body of people that God has said is a, a nation. Uh, the scripture went on to say that uh, we not only were a nation, uh, we were God's own possession. The King James Bible, I like the translation of possession. It calls us peculiar. And there are some peculiar people in the body of Christ. We won't point fingers except to look at ourselves. But uh, that, that's not what peculiar means. It means that this group of people who, who we know to be the church are different than any other group in, in the world. There's something very peculiar about us. We have been chosen and we have been chosen not just to be born again, but we have been chosen to be God's people. And from the beginning of Genesis until this day, the whole plan of God was to have a people. Yes. Why would God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decide to create us people? Because he wanted a people. And, and so the Bible has told us both in Old Testament, the Jews are the people of God in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, God has broken down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile and brought us into what we call the church. And God wants us to understand the church far beyond just religious services. He has called us the Holy nation, very much government terms. Yes. Now, if you go to college and you study governments, take civets and study governments, there are just all kinds of governments. Uh, there, there is an autocracy, a, a dictator, an oligarchy, a lot of, a few people ruling many people. Communism was a government. Democracy is a government. But this nation of God is called a theocracy. And a theocracy means government by God. 
It's different from all the other governments in the world. It is the government of God. And one day that government of God will govern all. One day for a thousand years, the government of God will rule on the earth. We call it the millennial reign. But right now, the government of God is very much in the earth. It's among what we call the holy nation. And we are a nation different from any other nation that has ever uh, been uh, envisioned by men. We are theocracy. The, our government is the throne of God. And we have to come to this common understanding. If we do not come to this common understanding, then all of the works of God will be fractured. Uh, there's somebody in charge, and his name is God Almighty. And when every one of us obey God Almighty, things work. It flows, it goes as God wills it to go. And God goes one step further. He says we are chosen generation, uh, God's peculiar possession. We are a nation. And then he calls us holy. Now the word holy in the uh, Hebrew text and in the Greek text of both Old and New Testament is a word that simply means to be different from everything else. So when we say God is holy, we mean that God is different from every other God who has ever ruled, different from all the gods uh, of the enemy. God is different. He's set apart. He's God Almighty. There's none like him. He's holy. He's different. And then when you go through the Old Testament, this word is used uh, about many different things. Uh, the Bible uh, calls the tithe holy, meaning that uh, this 10% is different from all the rest of our money. Uh, that 10% is holy, and God has called it holy. And in the Old Testament, he, he spoke to the patriarchs to bring their tithe. It was holy, different from the rest of their money. It was a very holy thing. He set apart the Sabbath, the day of rest for the Israelites. And he said, this day is holy, meaning it's not like the rest of the six days. It's set apart. It's different. And then this, this word has been given to us, to this nation of God's people. And God, God has told us that we're holy. So of all the governments that are at work in the earth tonight, of all the governments that have ever ruled or reigned, this one is holy. There's no other nation like this one, because it has been separated from all of the other nations. It is a holy nation. And this is God's identifying to us. And then our second thought is found in Revelation 
chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed, that is, bought people for God. Now, I want you to notice that. The blood of Jesus not only saved us, it ransomed us. We were bought by the blood of, of Christ to be the people of God because God wants a people. And we are people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I want you to note that. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they, this, this holy nation, will reign on earth. Now, the holy nation uh, cannot be identified racially. The holy nation uh, cannot be identified with a certain culture, with a certain country. In our culture, there's a lot of talk today about ethnic groups. And in ethnic groups, there is an identity. Uh, whites, blacks, Asians, Hispanics. And we are identified by uh, the ethnic group we are with. And using that word, God has his own ethnic group, if we want to use that word. God has his own people, and they do not come from a certain race of people or certain tribe of people or certain location. They are global from all over the world, and the common denominator is we have all been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And I always feel I'm right in the middle of God's church when we all don't act alike, look alike, sing alike, jump alike, pray in tongues alike, I think there should be diversity in the body of Christ because it comes from every nation, every group, uh, because God ha has his theocracy and he has ruled globally and across this globe, God has a holy nation. And the seat of our government is God himself. I learned this uh, years ago. I, I knew what I was teaching you, but it, it came home to me. Jean and I were pastoring in Statesboro, Georgia. And uh, it was a Sunday. And as Gene usually did, he preached on that Sunday morning. And that afternoon... I boarded an airplane to fly to California because I was going to speak in a conference there. When I landed in California, the woman in charge of the conference picked me up and we were having dinner. And I discovered she was a pastor's wife. And she began to tell me what her husband had spoken on that Sunday morning. This was Sunday night. And it was the same identical sermon Gene had preached in Georgia. And here was a pastor in Georgia and all the way across the country, a pastor in California. 
and they preach the same message, the same text, the same thoughts. Now, how could that happen? I guess both of them checked in with headquarters. Is that what you would say? <laughs> and both of them just got their orders from headquarters. That's the church. That's the church, the holy nation that, that God has called us to be. Now, this third thought is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul wrote, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. So th this brings us down to where we are right here. Uh, let's, let's just use our national identity as citizens of the United States. We're part of a nation, the United States of America. Our government headquarters is Washington, D.C., and we live in that nation, in this area of Georgia, as citizens. So when Paul says that we are citizens, then what he means is that we are doing God's kingdom government in, in the location where we live. That God has placed us here to be citizens. Uh, to be those people who are, are going to work for God right here in this area. And we have to uh, see ourselves that way. We have to understand that we're not just Christians. We're part of a holy nation and we're doing life right here as citizens. Just like I'm an American citizen, my government is in Washington, D.C., but uh, I do life right here. So all of these concepts, all of this is in the scripture. If time would have permitted, I could have brought out at least 10 to 20 more scriptures showing this. But we have to see ourselves as kingdom people. We have to understand God in a kingdom way. And we have to take this building, this group of people where we do life with God, and we have to broaden our vision and understand that we're part of a nation, uh, a holy nation. And we have been chosen to be a part of that. And the common thing we all have is the bloodline. Yes. Just like a family is a bloodline. Uh, I did not choose my parents. I did not choose my grandparents. Uh, I just was born into a bloodline. And this is the idea of the blood of Jesus Christ. It was shed not only for our salvation, but it was shed that God could have a people. And the sad thing is, we sometimes don't think of ourselves corporately. Uh, we, we live very individualistic lives, and we do not see ourselves in this broad sense that we're, we're part uh, of a nation. We're citizens in a heavenly nation, and that's corporate. When people in our nation, United States, live individual lives, it's usually chaos. When they don't care 
what they do to you on the interstate, you're probably going to have trouble. Uh, at least a third finger fellowship if you don't do as they behave. You know, they're just uh, doing their own thing, living as individuals. So we are to live, and, and I think it's, it's very powerful, and we have to remember this. We are to live as citizens of heaven. This is what Paul says to us. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven, and we are to see ourselves, we are to live not as just citizens of the United States, but as citizens of, of heaven. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10 gives us our fourth thought. This is from the Lord's Prayer. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here is the whole goal of kingdom government. This, this is what God's working out. This is why there is kingdom government. God's will is to be done in the earth just like God's will is done in the heaven. And the reason we have so much tribulation and chaos in the earth is that there are two contrary wills. Uh, there is an opposing kingdom, the kingdom of Lucifer, Satan, the devil, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. There is an opposing kingdom. There, there is uh, this opposition, and, and the kingdom is working toward one goal, that God's will will be done in the earth, just like it is done in heaven. And when the disciples said to the Lord, teach us to pray, it's very significant to me that the Lord's prayer began there. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God has joined those two, the kingdom and God's will be, being done. Now, in, in the USA, we are a democracy. And democracy is, is the principle of government, uh, the will of the people. That, that is the underlying uh, governmental power of democracy. Democracy is not ruled over by a ruler or a group of men and women in Washington, D.C. The ultimate uh, privilege of democracy is the rule and the will of the people. And every four years, we go to uh, the voting booth and we vote because that's the way a democracy runs, the will of the people. It's the form of our government. Now, we come here to the holy nation, and the holy nation is not a democracy. The holy nation is not uh, the will of the people. The holy nation is the will uh, of God. 
And I, you know, I've read the Bible through several, several times. And did you know there's not one place in there God ever asked us to vote? <laughs> not one time did God ever say, will you vote on this? Are you people like that? Do you think it's a good idea? Have you got a better idea? Now, sad to say, churches like to vote. How many of you have ever been in church where you vote? You know, you vote on the pastor and then this section over here didn't vote like this section. The middle section doesn't know how to vote. And it just ends up being chaos. And once the uh, majority rules, the other half's real unhappy. And if you think voting works, uh, just look at our country. <laughs> I mean, we're just unhappy. Uh, voting didn't work, didn't make us happy. Uh, we're just all in chaos here. And uh, the will of the people. Uh, and God has said to us that he, his will is to be done in the earth. All of this Mark teaches us is going toward that ultimate goal. When Jesus Christ returns the second time, he will rule for 1,000 years in Jerusalem. It will be a kingdom government. All of the covenants of Abraham will be fulfilled because God had promised Abraham that he would be a nation of people who would govern and that the Jews had never governed the world. Uh, Abraham and, and the Jews were promised a descendant of the king of David would sit on a throne in Jerusalem and rule. That has never happened. That's all going to happen in the thousand year reign. And when you read the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures about that, the will of God is done in the earth. And people are required to live and to do the will of God, the will of Jesus Christ sitting on a throne. And the will of God is not a bad thing. Uh, thank God Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit are not dictators. They, they govern with love, righteousness, joy, peace. Uh, it's a government, the thousand-year reign. It says even the animals that used to fight will lay down together. There will be peace. There will be joy. Uh, there will be righteousness in, in the world. So the, the kingdom here for us tonight is simply defined as the will of God. As citizens in this little local church, the governing principle is the will of God, not the will of the people, not my will, Mark's will, Jean's will, your will. It is the will of God. And this is the theocracy's goal. This is where God is taking us. There, there's a really good story in the Old Testament. It's in the books of Samuel. And the Israelites decided they did not want to be a theocracy. God had brought them out of Egypt, and God intended to govern them. And uh, at the, the mountain, when uh, you know Moses came down with the commandments, they, they said, uh, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. And, you know, God did that. 
And then in the journey to the promised land, they finally came to the point where they, they said, we want a king. All these other nations have a king and we want a king. So God had the prophet Samuel and uh, this story, and there was a search for a king. And the Bible says there was a man that stood head and shoulders above all the other men. His name was Saul. And Saul became the first king of Israel, not by God's choice, because the people had said to God, we don't want you to govern us. We want a king. And, and this man, Saul, it's just a sad, sad story because he had all kinds of giftings. He had all kinds of abilities, but Saul could never do the will of God. Saul was just a man that uh, did his own will. And finally, the kingdom was taken from him when he decided one day he was waiting for the prophet to come and offer a sacrifice before they could go to war and do the next event. And Saul got tired of waiting. And Saul decided he would just go ahead and offer the sacrifice, which was strictly forbidden in the law of Moses. And the kingdom was taken from him. And <clears throat> the Lord appeared to uh, Samuel, the prophet, <clears throat> and he said to Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's household. A and in the King James Bible, I like the way it reads, God said, I have provided me a king there. And it was David. And of all those sons that Jesse had, uh, everyone thought the oldest son was the ideal man. I think his name was Eliab. And they brought that son out. And Samuel said, no, it's not him. And they brought the next son out. I think Jesse had seven sons. And finally, the prophet had seen all of the sons. And he said, is there not yet one other son? And it was David, 15 years old, in the, uh, the fields, keeping his father's sheep. And he was brought before the prophet and he was made a king. And God said in that, I have provided me a king. And it was not that David was perfect. David committed adultery. He was a bloody king. Uh, you read his story. He, he's full of flesh sometimes. But David always repented. David always fell on his face and went back to God. He did bad, but he always ran toward God. And we have record of that. Read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Most of them are his songs, his poems, his, his prayers that were offered to God. And, and here was God saying, I need somebody that'll do that. I need a king. He didn't ask for perfection. I need a king that will run back to me and ask that my will be done. Because the tragic beginnings of our human race is that the will of God was not done in Eden. God never intended anything that happened. And it all began with a woman who decided she would go against the will of God. She persuaded her husband to follow her. And you and I were born into it. 
the will of God. When I was a real young Christian, I heard a man stand up and teach some of what I'm teaching you about the will of God. I think I was 30 years old then, so that's been 54 years. And he talked about how important it is to live your life listening to and adhering to the will of God. And I have never uh, varied from that. Sometimes I have to repent and come back to it. But I have always sought to live by the will of God because that is kingdom government. And you would say to me tonight, how do I live under kingdom government? Well, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? What is God saying to you? Because kingdom government uh, is governed by the will of God. Thought number five, kingdom government has laws by which we live. Now, any kingdom has to have laws. Uh, a lawless society is chaotic. I read uh, that when Saddam Hussein was killed in the Middle East and, uh, you know, the armies went in and he was captured and eventually was put to death, that there was a period in that country when there was no ruler. There, there was nobody there. there. And the laws were just set aside and it just became chaos. It was people being killed, uh, danger. The nation was in, in trouble because we cannot live without laws. And the kingdom of God has laws. We are a holy nation and we live under laws. Not the law of Moses. That law was done away with uh, when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross but the laws are found in Romans 8, verse 2. It says, because you belong to him, Jesus, the law of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the law of sin and, and death. So the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is, is going to govern us by life-giving laws. And, and we're going to live by these laws. And, and these laws are going to keep us in the kingdom of God. And they're going to keep us flowing with the Holy Spirit. And let us be very sure from Romans 8, 2, there are only two principles of life. There are the laws of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And there are the laws of of sin and death. Uh, we're, we're tonight either living in one or the other. Uh, there's no third avenue. The laws of sin and death came in with Adam and Eve's sin, and Jesus Christ came to give us a higher and a better law. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture... Scripture means that which is written down. When you see the word scripture, it's that which is written down. So now we're referring to the Bible, uh, our 66 books. All scripture is given 
and inspired by God. Now, now look what scripture will do for us. It's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to every good work. So the Bible is not a devotional book. The Bible is a textbook. And dear people, we don't even know what to believe until the Bible teaches us what to believe. We don't know right from wrong until the Bible tells us right from wrong. We're living in a culture that doesn't know right from wrong. They, they can't define right from wrong. And they are just living in their wrong and calling it right. And we don't know how to live. We don't know what's right. We don't know what's wrong. We don't even know how to believe and what to believe. And God, through his wonderful love for us, calls men to sit down and to pick up their pen and to begin to write under the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope we understand what went on to bring us these little books that we call the Bible. And, and these men began to write. And the Bible says it was given by inspiration of God. Now that word inspiration means God breathed into these words. They're the same words that you'd read in any college textbook, the same words you would read in a newspaper, uh, the same words you would see coming across your television screen. The only difference is God breathed into them, and they're alive. You can be healed reading your Bible, because I've been healed reading my Bible. I have followed the textbook. I am a teacher. I'm a firm believer in textbooks, and the Bible is a, a textbook. And it's the laws of the Holy Spirit. And so things were written in there. Like, whatever you sow today, you're going to meet it again in your tomorrow. If you act hateful, hateful is coming. What, whatever you, you sow, you will reap. That has been life-changing for me. I read one day in Proverbs, you're snared with the words of your mouth. And it was a hard job, but I learned to control this big mouth of mine. <laughs> I, I worked at it really, really hard because the mouth is almost impossible. Well, it is impossible to tame without the Holy Spirit showing us how to live. And, and we have these, these laws of the Spirit that do not bind us to a code of conduct like, like the law of Moses did. You, you can't do this. You, you know, the law of Moses said, before you eat, you have to wash your hands. That was not, not cleanliness. Uh, that elaborate hand washing. They had to have water, and then they had to raise the arm, and they poured water this way, and they poured water that way, and then they poured water this way. It was a ritual before they would eat to wash their hands. 
And when the disciples and Jesus ate without washing their hands, it, it was not talking about dirty hands. It was talking about these rituals of law, which did not make people free. But Paul wrote, if we follow the laws of the Spirit, we will be free people. Hallelujah. It will free us from the laws of sin and death. And if you want to be freed from the law of sin and death, you must follow the laws of the Spirit. This is the whole purpose of our Bibles. I always tell people, if you don't read your Bible, it's just a book on a bookshelf. It won't do anything. It has no life until you read it and it goes into your heart. James 1, 22 and 25, James said, don't, don't just listen to God's word. You must do as it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and do not obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, this is the written word of God, that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. See, those are powerful words. And what it means is this, uh, just glancing in the mirror, you get up every morning, the mirror's over there, and you just kind of glance at yourself. The worst thing I ever, ever did, I bought a magnifying mirror. <laughs> dear God, dear God, dear God. <laughs> Facial hair. I don't know why old women can grow hair on their face. And I thought, facial hair, hair in my nose, bumps here. I mean, that magnifying mirror. Because all of a sudden, I'm looking at myself in that magnifying mirror. I tell Gene, you know, he gets her shaving. He's got shaving cream all over his ears because he stands way back here and shaves. And then he walks away. I say, you didn't wipe your ears. There's shaving cream. He looks like he has ear bobs hanging down, you know. <laughs> just glancing in a mirror. So what God's saying, you can't just casually pick this up. You know, if everybody out there obeys the laws, we're free. If everybody on the interstate would obey the laws, we wouldn't have any wrecks. Uh, the reason we didn't have wrecks tonight, thank God, People stopped when the light turned red. And they went when the light turned green. And hopefully, going home tonight, people will stop at stop signs. They will obey the laws. And, and so when the Bible says things like this, uh, you're just going to have to forgive. And you're going to have to forgive as you have been forgiven. That's the law. You have to love with the love of God and forgive as you have been forgiven. The supreme law of the kingdom is to love like God loves. And Paul wrote one whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, and he said, it doesn't matter what you do, if you do not learn to love as God loves, you're just sounding brass, you're clanging cymbals. If you give away your body to be burned and you don't love as God loves, it means nothing. 
The supreme law of the kingdom is the love of God. Thought number six, kingdom government is to be obeyed, not understood. Now, one of our weaknesses in following God is we try to understand him. And there are things we can understand. I hope tonight you have understanding after I get through with this lesson. But the overall uh, revelation of God is contained in Romans 11, verse 33. It says, Oh, how great are God's riches in wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and ways. Uh, the King James Bible says it in a way I like better. It says his decisions and ways are past finding out. Wow. Meaning we'll never bring God into our own understanding. Now, if you want to read an Old Testament book that is about God's government, it is the book of Ezekiel. And the whole book of Ezekiel is about God's government being worked out in the earth in the time uh, of Ezekiel's life. And I would suggest you go home and read the first chapter because Ezekiel uh, has this revelation of the government of God. And it's given in this vivid uh, picture. I'm going to read three scriptures and then I'll talk about the revelation. Ezekiel 1.12, he saw this chariot that was in the sky, and this is the way he described it. They, the chariot, which was surrounded by angels, went in whatever direction the Spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. In Ezekiel 15 through 20, I'm just going to read parts of this. He said, I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each, and each wheel had a second wheel inside of it turning crossways. The rims of the four wheels were covered with eyes all around. The spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Verse 26, above this there was something that looked like the throne, and on this throne was a figure which resembled a man. Now that is a picture of God's government. And he saw, I, I, I don't think anybody can really understand it. He saw angels called living beings that were given charge over this chariot that was going through the sky. It was not in the earth. It had big wheels and the wheels reached from heaven to the earth and they were constantly rotating. And inside of the rotating wheels were wheels that were rotating. Ezekiel said the chariot never went to the left or the right. It always moved straight forward because God's government moves straight forward. On the rims of the wheels were eyes that saw everything. And on the top of the wheels was a throne. And, and there was someone sitting there that resembled a man, which was God himself. And that's a picture of God's government. Jesus rules in the kingdoms of men. And he's, he's even tonight, I know that chariot, we don't see it, but it's rotating through the heavens. 
and his eyes see what is going on. His eyes understand. Angelic beings are involved. He's always moving straight forward. And dear people, there's no way we'll ever understand those rotations of God's government. If God tries to explain it to us, we would never understand it. The wheels and the angels and the eyes rotating and going through the heavens and touching down into the earth, always going straight forward. The picture of God's government, which cannot be understood by us, and the only thing that we can do is to obey. We just obey. When God tells us to do something, uh, we just obey. And we do what God tells us to do. And I, I want to say this tonight because this, this is true and we forget it. Our world's just uh, in chaos now. Yes. Uh, if, if you just watch the news, uh, there's just chaos everywhere. In the midst of even revivals that are going on, there, there's this chaotic thing that is going throughout the earth. But we have to remember that we, we are involved with this invisible kingdom. And as great as the chaos may be, there is a greater work of God that is being done. And we have to remember that. And we have to remember we're part of a nation of people that God wants us to, to govern with him. The primary way we govern right now is through prayer. And God has said to us, if you'll pray for your country, humble yourself, turn from your sin, repent, I'll heal the land. God has promised us that. So I don't know, do we have responsibility for what's going on? I don't know. When he calls us a kingdom of priests, the priests always stand in this, this section between God and man. And the priest reaches up with his hand and he joins fallen people to God. That was what the priest did in the Old Testament. He offered sacrifice and he reached up and he touched God and then he touched people. And when we are a kingdom of priests, our greatest asset is to connect with God's government in the heavens and then stretch a hand to the earth. We are a kingdom of priests. We rule and reign right now through prayer. Hallelujah. Prayer changes things. Prayer can govern things. So this is the government of God that we obey. We do not understand. I decided I finally got smart because people would come to me and ask me questions and I finally got smart when I just said, I don't have the foggiest idea. I just don't know. Because I used to try to answer everybody's questions, you know. <laughs> and there are just some questions I can't answer. And I, I think I became smart when I was willing to say, I don't know. Unless God shows me, I don't know. Last but not least, our last thought. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak on behalf of Christ when we plead to fallen humanity, come back to God. Now, an ambassador in government 
it is a high-ranking diplomat. If you go overseas, the United States government is represented by uh, ambassadors. Jean and I went to Paris, France, and uh, we, we walked right by the American embassy. Uh, military was guarding the embassy. The American flag flew over that. And in the middle of Paris, France, was the United States of America, the ambassador who represented another government. He didn't live there permanently. He had just been assigned there. And this is the idea that God has in his government. We're diplomats. Yes. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And we are put here uh, living for God, representing another kingdom, representing another nation. This is not our home. If you read the Bible, the Bible calls us strangers and pilgrims who are passing through, going one day to a heavenly home. Uh, this is not our final home. So God has told us here that, that we Christians are ambassadors. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we represent our divine government. And our job here is to plead to fallen humanity, come back to God. Yes. Come back to God. And you know, if you study ambassadors, when nations go to war, before any nations, I don't know if this is still true, it was true in World War II, before war is declared, the nations pull their ambassadors out of countries. Right so that American ambassadors were not in Japan, they were not in Germany during World War II. Uh, the ambassadors are called home. And I believe before Antichrist comes and tribulation starts, the ambassadors will be called home. We know it as the rapture of the church. And we'll be taken out, that's my firm belief, God will come get his ambassadors and then the end will come. Well, that's as good as Mama June can do on a Wednesday night. <laughs>